0: Welcome to Iconocast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking to Phil Adam and Brian Anderson, two experts on electric cars. Phil is an old friend of mine and a neighbor here in my fair city, Plymouth, Minnesota, the Plymouth without the rock. Phil is an engineer who's quite likely, likely affected your life directly. If you ever go into buildings, school buildings, uh, government buildings, commercial or industrial buildings during the summer and the air conditioner is on, there's a very good chance Phil or one of his colleagues at Daikin Eng- Applied Engineering designed that air conditioning or installed it. Phil also works with me in several areas of environmental and political activism. Phil is one of the key people responsible for assembling the thoughts and wishes of Minnesota Democrats across the state into a coherent platform of issues. He's also on the board of of directors of the DFL Environmental Caucus. Uh, DFL is what we call Democrats in Minnesota. Uh, And Phil and I are both on that board, and we work together in progressive political messaging, a passion we both share. Phil introduced me to our other guest on today's show, Brian Anderson. Brian grew up near the banks of the Wisconsin River in Portage, Wisconsin, and earned a degree in electrical and computer engineering from the highly prestigious UW-Madison. He now lives in Minnesota, where he enjoys a storied career designing technology use, use, technologies used in automotive, diagnostics, and medical devices. Brian also lives in my fair city, Plymouth. So are all neighbors. Both Phil and Brian have chosen to spend a huge amount of their free time spreading the word on electric vehicles. As engineers, they have an understanding of the technology, Both Brian and Phil have an excellent sense of how to drag important concepts kicking and screaming out of the weedy rabbit holes they live in into the open to re explain them and make them accessible to regular people like you and me. We've asked them to join us on the show to talk about electric cars, their benefits and drawbacks, but most importantly, to address and dispel where appropriate misconceptions about this important new technology. Brian, let's start with you. Who the heck are you and why are you interested in electric
1: cars? (laughs) Sure. Well, I'm a recently retired engineer and uh, self-proclaimed geek, but I'm also very passionate about the environment. So I have had solar panels and driven EVs since 2015. That, that's really my primary motivation, but I do confess to having a lot of fun with them too. I mean, they, they are amazing machines. They're the future. And uh, I don't want to live in the past. I want to live in the future or, you know, the as close to it as I can get. And, and EVs are definitely a big part of that. And they're really the singular thing that most people in the United States can do to lower their carbon footprint. Solar panels and EVs, I think my uh, carbon footprint is pretty low and that's really what motivates me. Phil, what about you? Who the heck are you?
2: I'm gonna just say ditto what Brian, what Brian said. Um, I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm a soon to be retired engineer. And I've had electric cars for a little bit uh, longer, 10 years, almost 10 years. And so I'm solar panels for, for 12. I was one of the early adopters. And, you know, when you do heat transfer calculations Mm -hmm. for a living, you kind of, you you kind of (laughs) understand how carbon dioxide works in the atmosphere, that kind of thing. And the cars are a lot of fun. And it's one of the uh, best ways to, um, reduce your carbon footprint. I would say our carbon footprint is about a fourth of what it was ten years ago, and I do need to heat pump my natural gas furnace and and hot water heater. That's, oh, that's next right? on and, the list. And uh, and my and my and our gas stove but that will mm-hmm. be down the list. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: I? Um, I I don't have an electric car, but I did reduce my carbon footprint by moving a while back and moving to very close to work. Next step will be electric car. So uh, now next question for each of you, Ryan. first, what kind of electric car do you drive or cars do you drive?
1: Sure. Well, for recording the video, you can see behind me, my yeah. uh, current stable of electric cars, uh, which is a Tesla Model Y and a Chevy Bolt. And both of those are 2020. Who knows? They may be the last cars we ever buy. EVs do last a long time, but that's, that's what we're currently driving. And I no longer own any object that requires petroleum to operate i'm fully electric
0: so so your lawn. i see those who this is a good audio podcast but i can see your cars in your garage and i can see your house that's covered with solar panels
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I also see a lawn that's been cut well it looks like <laughs> it's kind of died in the, in the yeah drought, it's, it's, <laughs> it's sort of so a you fish. obviously don't waste water on your lawn but <laughs> right but but you have you also have electric um appliances for your lawn and garden stuff as well
1: Yep, electric mower, electric leaf blower, electric chainsaw, uh, electric snowblower. In fact, that's that's the toughest one. They uh snowblowers require the biggest gasoline motor. So uh, you know, the, the technology had to mature a little bit. But these days you can go out and get a decent two stage snowblower that handles, I would say, the biggest Minnesota storms, provided that you get out there maybe in the middle of a 12 inch, you know once every 10 years storm and and keep it clear but right. yeah they just work and, and phil what are you
2: driving um so we had a we had a leaf uh right now it's a model y at 2020 in fact um uh, Brian's license plate and mine differ by about three digits. I think, or <laughs> like mine's E H H three o four, and yours is three one seven or something.
1: Three o seven, I think. Yeah. So
2: yeah, we we differ yeah. by
1: three. three. <laughs> <laughs> Engineering brain, <laughs> remembering the sums. <laughs>
2: um, and we we have a 2017 i th- uh, BMW i3 with the um, pony motor, little twenty five, a uh, little thirty four horsepower uh, generator. generator. Yep. That allows the uh, car to um, allows you to do long distance trips.
1: Now, um, my first EV was a was a pure BEV version of that i three. Yep. It's a great little car. Unfortunately, they don't sell them anymore in the US, but you can still get them used. So
0: you both have Teslas, so I'm gonna, we're going to we're going to diverge from the main topic just for a second because I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I know you know what I'm going to ask you right now. <laughs> yep. I uh, do. Okay. A more specific question. Washington Post, Dateline, 10 minutes ago, Twitter suspended the accounts of more than a half a dozen journalists from CNN, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and other outlets Thursday evening. This has happened. Those journalists had said bad things about Elon Musk or Twitter. Hmm. So he's taking out, what is that, the fifth estate or the fourth estate, whatever it is, the Mm journalist's estate. Anyway, so you didn't buy your cars after Elon Musk went rogue. Would you have?
1: You know, it's funny. I just <laughs> responded to a Facebook comment today. I, I, I'm just all about the environment. So the person I commented or replied to was talking about Elon supporting the free speech of QAnon and other, you know, right wing crazies to uh, to put a label on them. And, and I said, you know what? I don't care. Because what Elon has done doing in the real world, in the physical world, the one that matters, where our grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren have to live in, he's fixing that. And I think he's done more than just about every other person to date. So I don't track that too much. But so, yes, I would probably still buy a Tesla. What about you, about you, Phil?
2: Um, it's got, right now it's got the best, um, uh, charging network. Rest of the industry will not catch up for at least a couple of years. If you take a look at the efficiency of the cars, the, all four Teslas are some of the, they're in the top 10 for the, the four Tesla cars are in the top 10. Uh, yep. I think that's, I think that's quite right. I think that's close. Certainly, well, the certainly
1: X are not as efficient, but yeah, they're up there.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. there are they're 120 like the RY, our, our model Y's are 120 miles per gallon equivalent. The Model Three is 140. Mm-hmm. You take a look at the Jaguar I-Pace, I think it's like 94 or something. Yeah. Some really I don't um,
1: think the Mach E is that great either.
2: Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Uh we can we can go further than uh we can go further than conventional car comp or we can go further than I'll call it domestic car companies with the same battery. Mhm yeah simply simply because we're more efficient. Yeah, yeah so we
1: we're and, we're, ta- we're talking about it from an engineering standpoint. I think right. Phil kind of said the same thing I did which is that's what matters. Um you know, I think Elon I mean we we could go on about this for a bit but uh, I would remind people that uh and I'd encourage people to watch the Saturday night live uh episode that he hosted but in his monologue he admitted I have Asperger's and um I think People don't. For one, it, it takes some knowledge of of medicine to know what that means. But he he's not competent uh, when it comes to social interactions, mm-hmm. and and it's unfortunate because he's one of the wealthiest people on earth. But he's not competent, and uh, uh, that allows me to give him a measure of of a break. Yeah, it, I'm it, not saying it's, you have to, but that's well,
0: it. It, people who are. Extremely privileged get to don't get the same um social sometimes don't get the same social support other people do because no one wants to say no to them you know that's true <laughs> which is also true right yep. which is something that and Brian you mentioned I, I guess I guess what what I think what I would like our readers to kind of understand are, are two are two things one is what are the real reasons that you want an electric car and you probably each you know, there's probably more than just one reason there's a few reasons including that they're cool, but other reasons as well. But then also I want to touch on the objections people have for buying electric cars. And I'll I'll try to think of what the objections are and bring them up to you, but you may come up with your own things that you've heard from people. But uh, why, you mentioned Brian, cars, electric cars last longer. So why Mm -hmm. do they last longer?
1: Well, you know, again, I have the opportunity of speaking from an engineering standpoint. There are simply far fewer parts to break. And uh, as we say in engineering, the part that's not there can't fail. So the electric motor in an EV, the motor itself has one moving part. It's a rotor inside a stator, which sits still. Uh, You know, the gasoline motor, the equivalent, the power plant, has hundreds of moving parts. And they operate at extreme temperatures, extreme pressures, extreme loads, I think Phil is a mechanical engineer I'm not but I I've, I've been exposed to a lot of them so I can sort of sort of speak to it but Phil can probably do that better but that's that's probably the main thing the other one is um they're well it's related I guess they're far less expensive to maintain and the longer you keep them of course like like just about anything physical that that uh will continue operating your cost just goes down because you're you're deferring costs you're you don't you just don't have the cost that you would have maintaining a gas car and i know i snuck in a different answer there but mm-hmm.
2: bill do you want to add anything to why Yeah just, just um uh at four bucks a gallon our electric cars probably cost me if you compare them to a equivalent suv we probably paid a 10 grand premium for them and that savings, just in fuel alone, is recouped in sixty thousand miles. Mm-hmm. I expect my car to last three hundred thousand miles, maybe five. The first thing I expect to fail will be the body from rust. Uh, that's that's. A, um, I plan on I plan on replacing the suspension at one hundred and fifty thousand or thereabouts. Plan on going three hundred thousand with the car easily. Um the uh one other one other, I wanted to get back to the um to the investor question. Mm-hmm. Um investors are ready to to boot Elon Musk out anyway because they think right now the stocks at about what 160 160 pound pounds, 160 dollars per share right now. Mm-hmm. Um investors think it's undervalued. But they wanna they wanna get um they wanna get Musk out of there because he's not running the company anymore right now. Um, right. He he owns so,
0: he owns fourteen percent of Tesla. Right. And and then the next seven owners of stock own fourteen point one percent or
2: something like that. So but, it, yeah, there's uh yeah. but yeah, there's one guy that's got quite a quite a sizable fortune. So I, I concur with Brian that yeah, he's he's got uh Asperger's syndrome. So he 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 doesn't. Um, I mean, just the fact that he treats employees like chattel. Um, hey, you should be willing mm-hmm. to work 100 hours a week or 120 hours a week. Um, yeah, yeah.
3: He...
2: that that's uh, that's not progressive.
3: Yeah, that's all. Uh,
0: um, good, uh, I, I have a question on the on the long, longevity question again. Is, is a car like a Tesla going to have to have its suspension majorly overdone in 150,000 miles? I would imagine it would last longer than that. And oh. modern cars don't really rust like they used to. Mm-hmm. If you know, you might not rust out. You might, I, 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 What about? I would expect the next big thing in your car you'd have to fix or replace would be the batteries.
2: How long do the batteries last in a Tesla, you think? The batteries should be, um, there's some anecdotal evidence that the batteries are 80% good at 300,000 miles. Okay. Um the uh, uh the suspension in the car is no different than a suspension in a right in a Lincoln. Uh and B- BMWs you have to you want to replace them between around 150,000 because um they they make them responsive and when you make things responsive um you, you're not driving a battle tank. You're you're driving something that 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 wiggles. And, okay. uh <laughs> yeah it, and I you know
1: it's not the entire suspension either right of the suspension components you have rigid components that are made of aluminum in the case of a Tesla and they I think from a metallurgical standpoint they're not being fatigued yeah. in an area where they're fundamentally changing so they're going to last forever uh the springs same thing they're steel springs cuz you can't make spring you have to make springs out of steel uh, but again, uh, springs are designed to operate within a range that effectively makes them last forever. So the only piece that really wears out is the gas strut piece, the, the oil and air component that damping, dampens things, mm-hmm. shock absorbers. Right. And those do wear out because they have seals, they have, you know, they're undergoing the type of wear mechanism that eventually does cause them to fail. Right, and so it's also suspension. I think that's probably what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's just, those
0: are designed. Those are actually the part that's designed to re- be the part that wears out. Yeah, and they're easy to take out. They're not that expensive, so I wouldn't even count that as replacing the suspension. I would just yeah. say that that's that's like changing your oil only less often.
1: But and and since you brought up the battery, Greg, because yeah. I think this is maybe one of the hottest topics that I hear again and again and again when I'm talking to people. But the batteries, as Phil said, they wear down to a point where you have less range my model y is already down to about 290 miles of range phil i don't know what you're seeing i
2: haven't paid attention
1: yeah but the the point being that there's a uh there's a uh, relatively sharp wear phase that happens toward the beginning then they level out for a very long time and then they just gradually degrade but but that's the point is it's not the type of wear out that will cause a sudden failure and leave you stranded on the road. Mm-hmm. It's just that a year later, you're going to wake up and go, geez, I used to be able to make this trip with no charging. Now I have to stop partway through. And by the way, that's five years down the road when there are going to be twice or three times as many chargers. So right. it begins to get, basically what you're paying is, is a little extra time to stop and charge.
2: Yeah. And our batteries may Lose some capacity, but the motor will maintain its. I will. I will have the same efficiency at three hundred thousand miles as I have at, mm-hmm. with a brand new car. Yep. You cannot say that for a gas car. Uh, oh, gas right. cars. Gas cars wear out. Gas cars get get worse efficiency over time. The other thing is that the uh, catalytic converter of a gas car is only as good as that oxygen sensor. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's in the exhaust pipe. Or that's in the
1: components in on the on
2: the on the exhaust manifold. Yeah. And if you and if that if that oxygen sensor fails or goes out of goes out of uh, tolerance, then you start running rich, which means you lose efficiency. Which means you start carboning up your catalytic converter. Which means you do not, you do not, you, you put out um, much more toxic fumes. In fact, I suspect there's very few cars on the road more than five years old that are still within manufacturer spec for their catalytic converter. Mm.
1: Yeah, and if you ever drive behind a car and you smell a, a rotten egg smell, mm-hmm. that's a clogged up catalytic converter.
0: Right. It's not a Tesla. No. no.
1: It's not an electric car. No. Yeah. Uh, now, okay. Since we're talking about,
0: let's continue with the battery discussion a little bit. I think your point. This is a really important point that you made. That the battery getting older and therefore having less capacity does not mean that when you press your foot on the accelerator pedal, it goes eighty percent of what yeah. it used to go. It still works like it, like it was before. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, one question I have: Do you expect that in three hundred thousand miles, when your battery finally, decide you're going to replace it and go that range back again. Is that going to be as the same price relative to inflation as a battery is now, or are they going to change their price? and is it going to have the same capacity as a battery is now, or is there going to be enough of a change in technology barring the magic technology that we don't know about yet that gives you a mm-hmm. ten thousand mile battery or something? But just given what we what you think you know about batteries now, will the three hundred thousand year replacement ba- three hundred thousand mile replacement battery be an upgrade to your car.
1: So that's that maybe be... 10 years, Phil, or no, probably 15 years. Let's say 15, 15 years. for
2: me. I've been driving about 20,000 miles a year. Let's say 15 yeah. years from now. Will you be getting the same battery
0: or a slightly better battery? Or will it be a magically great battery or what?
2: The other thing will be that that battery is, is not integral with the frame, I don't believe. And if you have 10 million Teslas that are similar in design, then it makes sense for um napa to have a, a, a replacement i'm saying napa but it makes sense for some company OEMs. third party company third party right to have yep. to have a replacement battery for you that okay it's um it won't be the it won't be the uh it won't quite be up to uh, uh oem standards but boy it'll be half the price and it'll 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 make that car a great second car give it another 10 20 years
1: I'll take a crack at that question, too, Greg. Um, if you pay attention to some of the new battery tech companies, I'm just going to pick on Storedot as an example. This is an Israeli company. They have partnerships with, I think, Volkswagen and, and some other companies. Um, so they're they're being taken seriously, and they're in, in this solid-state battery. And I, I wave the air quotes because... A lot of people have heard that, but that is an example of a technology that is not commercially available yet, but seems like it's going to get there. And you have um, you have a new battery architecture where instead of having graphite in the anode, you have a metal anode, meaning a solid lithium anode. And you have a, rather than a liquid or gel electrolyte, that's that's a hydrocarbon that's flammable by the way that's why lithium batteries burn it's the electrolyte um you you go to this either ceramic or some kind of a polymer that's not flammable and and somehow overcomes the current issues which is <laughs> no pun intended um <laughs> growth of dendrites uh things like that which is the whole purpose of the the electri- electrolyte barrier being there um I'm I'd be the first to say the things that the the new guys are saying, uh, eh, they're exaggerating, right? They're not going to be there the way they're saying they will be or when they will be. But if you conservatively extrapolate, not not take a leap, not to magic technology, as you said, but if you extrapolate what is in the works today and being tested in the lab, you know, presumably on the short track to being commercialized. Um I think all that adds up to a considerably cheaper battery replacement in fifteen years. I don't think that's a very risky prediction mm-hmm. bill uh Phil mentioned the you know the 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 third party the the competitive pressures that are going to happen. um you know Tesla itself is going to stay on top of this when I listen to every investor call and call after call, somebody will ask about what about this battery, what about that? And uh, when J.B. Straubel was CTO and he used to be on the investor calls, he would say, we are aware of everything that's happening in the market. And if anybody has something that they don't think we're being paying attention to, call us up. We'll put it in the lab. We will begin testing it and we will work with you. Um, and, and that's why I say, I don't think some of these companies are as ready as they say they were. If they were, mm-hmm. Tesla would partner with them. Other companies would partner with them. but um so there's somewhere in between that spectrum of you know magic is going to happen tomorrow and magic is never going to happen that i think leads to a considerably cheaper more capable battery in 15 years i think that's a really safe prediction
2: plus um <clears throat> plus we've um uh we're there are probably 45 battery plants being put up in europe and in and 45 in the united states um hmm. uh we we've we provided we provided the cooling i mean we're talking tens of thousands of tons of cooling for these battery plants i mean just massive i i, 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 didn't, I didn't
0: interrupt okay. phil makes giant air conditioners <laughs> that's why he's saying that okay. good, good clarification <laughs> if you're wondering why he's talking about cooling plants he makes cooling, he makes yeah. the air conditioners
2: and plants yeah. Yeah. And, um anyway just uh we are uh I, I i'll i'll get a i mean historically you know for 25 30 years I would, a, I would get a i would get a i would get a request for five five rooftops 10 rooftops 20 rooftops one a lot of onesies a lot of twosies In the last five years, I've, and um, the Jacob Javits Center was the one job I ever had that was, it was 90 some rooftops. So that was the biggest job I ever did. Okay. But everything else was five, 10, 20. In the last four or five years, we have had at least 10 to 20 buildings of a hundred (laughs) rooftops. And they wow. are all battery. They're all battery. They're plants. all battery. They're battery factories.
3: plants.
2: Wow. wow. Okay. Wow. So yeah. um, uh, well, well, a couple were a couple were car manufacturing,
3: yeah.
2: but, but, but generally mm-hmm. they were, they were, they were, um, second tier suppliers to the, to the, to the car companies for battery plants. Right. Now,
0: now just to clarify a little bit more as well. And Brian, you made reference to this. The problem with the battery is that when you have the way batteries work is that they get gunked up. That's a simple way of putting it. And (laughs) how they get gunked up depends on the exact battery technology you're using. And the way the batteries are used now that the, the, if you're asking an engineer, I need a battery here. They're gonna go order a battery that has certain performance specifications and to make the battery has at least gunking, the least gunking is is, is something like a lithium battery with cobalt in it and so on. That does not mean you have to use that battery. For example, when I spoke to people who are building peaker plants, which is, you know, solar peaker plants, you build a solar farm and you have some batteries on there so you can store your electricity. The engineers order the same basic battery that you have in your Tesla, but just a giant version of it. They could order a battery that's 10 times bigger, less efficient, holds the same amount of electricity, might even be cheaper, but it's not what they really want to use. It isn't an optimal battery but you want the optimal battery in your car because it's a car. You can't have a battery mm-hmm. that's 10 times bigger and kind of works and you drag it behind on it, right? So right. That, and that's, what the, that's what these new battery technologies are. They're trying to take, keep that level of performance with different materials so the gunking up is less or it holds a little more electricity. But what about the problem of, I know Phil, you and I have talked about this a lot. What about the problem of those rare minerals of cobalt and lithium this is what people whenever i'm at a place where people talk about your cars, someone always says but what about these enslaved children in the congo or what about <laughs> the rarity of these minerals
1: and these are real problems so phil what, i think yeah. you should you should talk about the gasoline refining
0: <laughs> okay yeah and then let's okay phil you start off with you making the so, argument yeah but what about no you know, argument yeah so let's isotope?
2: let's let's start yeah. let's start with the gasoline refining um, you know, how do you how do you make gasoline Well, you get crude oil um, and you, for example, um, it's the crude oil that we are now finding is harder and harder to find. So it takes a more and more energy to get it out of the ground than the nice Saudi light that, that we found in 1935. Um and then you pipe it to, uh, uh, for example, Alberta tar sands. You pipe it about twenty-seven hundred miles, and it's probably through a four-foot pipe. And uh, I'm guessing that the energy required to pump that all that um, oil to the refineries is probably on the order of a, you know, it's going to be a gigawatt, or it c- could be even more. But it's Sir. an enormous, it's an enormous amount of electricity. And I should make that hmm. calculation.
1: I was talking about the the col he was so Greg was asking about the minerals. So I remember you saying once that cobalt was used in gasoline
2: refining. Oh, yeah. yeah. So in um the latest data I had was that 24% of world cobalt was used for our PCs and our phones our phone uh uh batteries. 24% was used for electric vehicles. And fourteen percent was used for the refining processes of uh, for gasoline as part of the catalytic processes in cracking the carbon molecules into useful uh, into useful molecules um so yeah so yeah,
1: yeah. The rest there, of the there cobalt, are is, multiple it, minerals in yeah. in each different battery chemistry, and yeah. cobalt is the most problematic one on 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 a couple of different dimensions, the one you mentioned greg but um, it is certainly possible to develop cobalt free batteries, and I think companies are well on the path of of getting there where there won't be cobalt in batteries anymore one of the one one of the battery technologies that's in wide deployment now and it's actually in use in sta- stationary batteries is uh lithium iron phosphate so lithium iron phosphate uses no cobalt it uses extremely common minerals of iron and phosphorus. Lithium is actually broadly available. It's extremely common in the environment. Um, And it's mostly sourced from friendly places. Um, There's quite a bit of it in the US. There's a lot of it in South America. There's a lot of it in Australia. And so I I don't personally, from what I've read, I don't think lithium is, is a big issue. Um, but nickel is apparently a a big challenge. And again, lithium iron phosphate batteries don't require nickel. And the the trade-off is that a nickel-based battery, and we're talking about the cathode now, lithium is the anode, Um, all these other metals are the cathode. Um, Nickel is problematic. Nickel batteries are about... I don't know, Phil, 10 to 20% more energy dense. And and that's the the term you're after, Greg, when Mm -hmm. you said cars need something different than stationary batteries. What cars need is high energy density. And you can talk about volumetric density or gravimetric density or weight, but it's really gravimetric density that I think really determines the performance envelope of a moving vehicle. Um, so lithium iron phosphate is great for a bus, for example, um, or or a truck even. I mean, that's not trying to be a you know, 3.9 seconds, 0 to 64 Ford F-150. Is that really necessary, by the way? <laughs> but anyway, that aside, nickel is what gives you the high performance, and that's where the current EV market is focused. But honestly, the EV market in the U.S. is, what, 7%, something like that, Phil? Yep. You know, what's the other 80% it's people who just want to get from point A to point B, they would be perfectly served by a car that gets 220 miles of range instead of 260 or 70, using a lithium iron phosphate battery instead of a nickel battery and boom, supply chain problem solved.
2: And lithium iron phosphate is lower price. Yep. Um, And
1: it's more durable. Yeah. Right. You can charge it to 100%. It's happy to charge to 100%. Um, those of us with today's um, EVs are, that are all nickel based batteries, we're all kind of babying our batteries, especially mm-hmm. Teslas, because Tesla gives you access to more of the gross capacity of the battery. What that means is you're taking it further to the top and further to the bottom. And that creates more wear. Remember that dendrite term? Yeah, that's what creates those is when you take the battery to its extremes Um, and companies like I think GM actually and we have a Chevy Bolt, I think they have wider bars on the end, you know, where they don't let you charge as high. They have bigger reserves on the top and bottom, which is great for battery longevity, you can either do it yourself and set your battery charging and make sure you keep it in that window or the car can do it for you, but that means you don't have access to that extra capacity. So that's the kind of trade-off we're talking about. And that's more important, way more important with nickel batteries than with lithium ion phosphate. So I really think this is kind of a short-term situation. I don't think we're gonna be talking about this in three or four years. Um, With increases in uh, energy density, just, just gradual increases, Uh, Car companies, probably including Tesla, will start building in bigger margins and we won't have to think about, um, you know, what wears out a battery and what percentage can I charge to and and things like that. There was a moment
0: when uh, Hurricane Harvey, I believe it was, was attacking Florida and people, the concern was, I have an electric car, I can't possibly evacuate, whatever, because, you know, I don't know, whatever reason, people just have range anxiety. but Tesla sent out a signal to all the Teslas in Florida, narrowing that band at the top or the bottom, I guess, so that they could go a little farther, charge a little more, go a little farther to make it all the way to Georgia instead of only half way to in Georgia. Um, by the way, on cobalt, uh, the, the number is uh, another, and I'm gonna to add to cobalt something else, which is that the other half of the cobalt, you only described the first half. The other half the cobalt is used in alloys of, of metals that are mm-hmm. used in mostly aircraft related, for high performance demands of turbine engines and that kind of thing. And it turns out there's more than one alloy that works perfectly well in those applications. And only one of those alloys uses cobalt but it's just because cobalt is traditionally what they've used. They can Mm -hmm. use other minerals. So you can get about 45% or 40% of the cobalt out there free from from this pie diagram you can just take it out of that if you just redid the technology. That's a, probably a huge investment to change how they build those things. Yeah, I like Fiesta wear as my as my um, local ceramic, and mm-hmm. the color I prefer is cobalt. Guess what? <laughs> Can't get they just, they making cobalt Fiesta wear. They replaced it with a non-cobalt blue, which is not quite the same blue. So mm-hmm. there is some pressure on the market there. Um, <laughs> so okay, that's the battery end of it. Now I want to ask you, and I, I know.
2: One more thing about the battery I wanted to point yeah, yeah. out is sure. that the cobalt in our batteries is only forty to fifty pounds, so we're, and we're moving a we're moving a two ton car. Mm-hmm. The lithium's about what thirty to forty pounds. Um, hmm. I didn't and think cobalt the, was that much. It, it, excited, it, yeah. Yeah.
1: Nickel is probably a, a much higher nickel. level because nickel's like the a, highest
2: one, and okay. and gasoline cars need just as much nickel as as our cars do. I really? think. Why do they I need don't I mean. I mean, we only have fifty pounds, but again, they, alloy. Yeah, they, they need it in their alloys for their for the for the gas yeah, engine.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. that's interesting. So mm-hmm. it's about to say, Yeah, that's another point.
2: And now yeah, I, yeah. I'm not sure about that, but we know that nickel is used in the alloys for steel. Um, okay. uh, the the traditional sure, car companies sure. have always needed nickel. Yeah. Um, stainless is made with
1: a, is
0: that's
2: a nickel. What, that's what stainless steel is. Yeah, nickel. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, if you talk and if you talk to Tesla's. What I've read about the the Tesla supply chain is that nickel is actually their is actually their biggest uh, biggest bottleneck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, that's yeah. a bottleneck for all car companies.
0: And by the way, these minerals that are used in the batteries, uh, we you mentioned Phil that uh, cobalt was used in the refinery. There's controversy over this, but my understanding is used as an as as a, a substrate for an enzyme that does part of the process. And it gets lost. Some of it, it gets lost. So they lose a little bit. I've talked to people in the industry who say, Oh, we don't lose any, only a little bit. And other people say, well, they lose about
2: 15% over a quarter of a year. I mean, why would you need, why would you need no new refineries have been built
0: in a long right. so time would you need anymore? Well, now someday you're going to say that about electric cars, right? When everybody has an electric car, um, you don't have to get new cobalt or whatever you're using, nickel, for the new batteries, you just, because we're going to be recycling what we're using. So it's a temporary yeah. ramping up thing. Um, okay, moving, we can come back to batteries if we think of something else. But moving on to another question, which is a bit outside the car. And that is, uh, the objection I hear people make is, uh, or concern they have, is when you're all charging your electric cars, and everybody's got an electric car, where are we going to get the electricity? To put in all those cars, Uh and I and uh, by the way, this is a this is an international podcast. I think we have at least one listener in Australia of our nine or ten listeners. At least one is in Australia. <laughs> but, but I know that Phil and I, you and I, have t- talked a lot about this in regards to just Minnesota specifically, because yeah. Minnesota is un- a very unusual state with regards to electricity and petroleum. But we, we 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 have more pipeline in this state per capita than any other state that doesn't produce something that goes in the pipeline. Yeah, mm-hmm. And that uses a huge amount of electricity to pipe yeah. that, that, that stop. Stop
1: line three. Yeah.
0: You know, <laughs> and this is all going somewhere else. It's like, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we are also, by the way, the trains are coming through the state like crazy and it's all going yeah. in Virginia or North Carolina. Two
1: blocks from my house.
0: Yeah. I used to live right, across, anyway. So but the question is, what do we have to do to account for the extra electricity needed when we're driving all of our cars with electricity rather than gasoline. Well,
2: so the place
0: I would
1: start with that is the electric grid is designed, at least in the—I'll uh, I'll just say generally the Midwest. Actually, probably pretty much nationwide. It's designed for the hottest day of the year. The grid doesn't store electricity. Uh, or at least the old grid. Um, now we have some batteries um, in the grid, but not much. So basically, generation has to be ramped up and down to match demand every hour of every day of the year. Generally speaking, you know, grid operators have to do this. It's it's enormously complex, but. Um, The point is that that you have all of this generation capacity that is idle most of the time. And when it is most frequently idle is overnight, right? Uh, You know, people go to bed, they turn off the lights. Businesses shut down. You know, they they, uh, ramp down their, um, well, manufacturing ramps down. Everything ramps down. The demand of electricity goes way down overnight. most people you know today come home and and plug in their car when they let's say when they get home from work now i'm not driving much a lot of people aren't driving much anymore but that's a general pattern and it's interestingly a pattern that could easily be uh incentivized financially in fact phil and i went to an excel discussion about their ev program they've just introduced a new program where they'll pay you 50 bucks to charge your car, you know, over that, those overnight hours, 50 bucks a year. Okay. It's not a lot of money, but it's easy to do. The cars can be programmed to do it. You set it and forget it and they pay you 50 bucks. So it's, it's absolutely not a stretch at all to shift that load. Let's say the load today is everybody comes home at five thirty PM and plugs in. Um, fine it's it's still I mean at today's penetration of seven percent it's nothing I mean the grid is handling seven percent um Phil, maybe you'll have some numbers but I'll, I'll just finish my my example here um so shifting that load to overnight hours is is a pretty much a piece of cake and uh even so let's take a a country countries that are way far farther further along in the EV transition than the United States, Norway, uh, several countries in Europe um, are now at 20, 25, 30%. You might ask the same question. What did they have to do? Did they have to rebuild their grid? No, they didn't. Uh, You don't even hear about it. It's non, it's non news because even if every car were hundred percent EV tomorrow, it would represent, and maybe Phil, you have the number, but some incremental percentage of additional load. And again, that load is is adjustable; it's movable. You can uh, shift it in time to a time when the when the grid can handle it. So, really, the combination of those things mean the transition is going to happen uh, slowly enough that uh, uh, actually. Um, Utilities like Excel are on top of this because guess what? They want to be the new gas station. They want us that's <laughs> new revenue for them. So they're all over it. They're figuring out how to deploy charging stations, get that big power to locations, sometimes remote locations. And they're also figuring out how to deliver that extra load and design those incentive programs to get people to charge when the grid has plenty of additional power. It's really it's a solved problem, is what yep. I would say.
2: In fact, I would I would say that I have, in the past year, two years, I have charged my car ninety over ninety five percent of the time after nine nine p.m. Hmm. Um, so I'm I'm just naturally charging off peak or what would be considered off peak, um, if the Right now, the the average the grid average is about forty percent. If you take, you know, there's eight thousand seven hundred and sixty hours in a year, divide all electricity by that number, you come up with forty percent is the average plant capacity. If every vehicle was electric, it'd be sixty percent.
1: So we so need a twenty percent uplift.
2: Yeah, it's a twenty percent uplift. So the, the only thing you're concerned about is the hot day in July or August. Where you where in theory you might need hundred and twenty percent, except you you would incentivize everybody still to charge from midnight to eight a m when when the electric load is down anyway and uh by then we'll uh as as Brian pointed out, I think it's seven percent yeah are, are we seven percent nationwide three percent in Minnesota? for uh, penetration on electric vehicles? Mm, Yeah. Anyway, but it's, by the time you get to 50, 60, 70%, we will have V2G, vehicle to grid um, capability. And so, for example, in California, they are no longer incentivizing solar, but they're going to incentivize batteries. And the reason for that is that the uh, electric load during the um, when the sun is shining uh, is being met quite well by solar panels so they don't really need more solar panels because at 5 p.m all of a sudden the solar panels go away and you've got this tremendous demand uh, that's required by the grid and so if you incentivize batteries then then that helps that helps with load leveling. So California is responding. So they responded by putting um, solar on the grid. And now they're responding by saying we need batteries on the grid, or at least that's at least that's some of the public incentive. So as long as we have good public policy, it'll be easy. It'll be easy to transition. In fact, uh, we were on a meeting this 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 evening and. the Ironically, the dealers who have been fighting electric car mandates c- could be selling twice as many cars as they have if they had electric vehicles on the lot, but they don't.
0: Isn't it also true that if we're not making gasoline and other fossil other fossil fuel based energy
2: fuels for vehicles, that we save some electricity with that uh, instead yeah. of you know because
1: absolutely. The you, Pine you
2: Island a, Refinery has a forty-five megawatt feed. You, oh, it's a forty-five megawatt feed. So, yeah. Pine Island
0: Refinery in in Minnesota is one of the big refineries <laughs> here.
2: Yeah, and that's actually a um, that's actually when you consider the amount of gas in the process, forty-five megawatts is not a lot. Actually, it's it's. I'm guessing it's in the hundreds of watts per gallon. I don't know, but that'd be a good calculation to make. It's still 45 megawatts uh, every day, 45 megawatts times 8,760 hours. If we can record this later, I'll, I'll do the math and we could, that could power like, I could power like a hundred thousand cars or 200,000 cars so, or some no, dumb thing.
0: So we could double or triple the number of cars we have down in Minnesota or quadruple.
2: Just by taking the, the same amount of electricity. Just take
0: the refinery out. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. In fact, We should, we should yeah. do that. I'll do that calculation. <laughs> yeah, we can put it on the website later so we can see. So, the grid is not going to be a problem. No.
0: Obviously, it is the other side of this is where we're we getting electricity from. We need to we need to electrify everything and we need to decarbonize the grid. So electrifying everything is what we're doing in part by getting these electric cars and electric lawnmowers and chainsaws. We have to make electricity with wind turbines and solar, etc. And there is going to be a, some grid upgrading. To get the wind turbines hooked into the grid as we expand outwards. Um when I hear people complain about that, Phil and I both live in Brian, do you live up in Anoka County?
1: No. no, I'm in uh I'm I'm near uh um Phil actually in Plymouth.
0: Okay. Yeah. Because you had mentioned you're near the trains. I didn't I figured I didn't know if you're near the BNSF train up in I'm
1: a, I'm off Schmidt Lake Road.
0: Okay. So you're right on that train. That one that fell off the tracks a few months ago. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can hear it from here. So <laughs> okay. so you have um we have a uh, a grid that is um, got to be expanded a little bit. We live in we all live in a part of town which is the suburbs. That if you go back to about 1980, it was all farmlands mostly mm-hmm. and small small villages. Um, as that neighborhood was built out, and real estate and home ownership is our soul and religion in America. You know, the real estate agents are our little priests and our our our, our belief is that home ownership is the goal. Okay, that's mm-hmm. nirvana. Uh, no one ever asked the question, we can't have these suburbs because we'll have to put in more more transmission lines and, and feeding lines for electrical electrical system. Right. You know, the entire twin cities doubled in size, at least, or tripled in size over about a 40 year period. Mm -hmm. and the entire time we're building and building and building and building new electrical lines the entire time Uh, and upgrading them plymouth used to have a lot of power outages they upgraded we don't have them anymore um but suddenly we're building a wind turbine it's like oh my goodness we're going to have to put up new new transmission lines and new uh, power lines for these things isn't that electrification being asked to dance backwards in high heels like ginger rogers (laughs) <laughs> Is not it, it the case that with everything you talk about and do regarding electric cars, there's always something like <clears throat> electric cars use nickel. Well, so do ice cars. But no one asked that question. Isn't yeah. that, isn't that a, a little bit annoying mm-hmm. to you guys that, that electric cars are being held to a standard uh, uh, against the perfection of the, of the, of the uh, internal combustion car? Uh, before you answer that, I'll just say one thing. I, I was having a conversation with an engineer who builds electric trucks. And I made, I said something like, when did, when do you think they perfected the, how long do you think it took them to protect the, to, to perfect the internal combustion engine? And he said, they perfected it. <laughs> and, and, and this has been 150 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So where do you think, do you, do, you, how, do you, how do you think you get people to understand that electric technology is, electric car technology is there that it sure will improve incrementally here and there, but it's, it's already ready to go. We don't have to wait for the next technology to come. We don't have to wait for the grid to get upgraded that we're, we're there. I mean, you're comfortable with the fact that we're there now, right? But how do you convince people of that?
1: Yeah. So Phil, I think you and I have probably collectively had that conversation at least a thousand times. (laughs) And to be honest, Greg, it's different with every person. It's, it's more like if, you know, what I'll answer a question with a question. What exactly is it about electric vehicles that you're worried about? Because I have answered every concern nine different ways. But Mm -hmm. I need to know what the individual is worried about. And you brought up some great ones, right? And there are 10 or 12 more objections, concerns, misconceptions, (coughs) outright lies that people have adopted. And you just have to find out what that is and address it. I uh, every last one of them I'm convinced now <laughs> I'm bulletproof. I mean I can right. I can take any question about an EV and help walk you through it whoever you are and understand why your objection is, you know, not not, not to criticize you. Everybody has concerns. Everybody's worried about things, but let's talk you down off the ledge and explain why, you know, you can really relax and you can go buy an electric vehicle because there's one that will work for you. And honestly, with, I don't know, five, 10% of the people I've talked to over these many years, it's been, you know what, you have a use case that I don't have a good solution for you yet.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, it's like my, uh, we visited a friend in Alaska She lives in an inholding of Denali State Park, has a beautiful view of Denali when it's not covered in clouds. And she's in this 30-some lot, five-acre lots. And the only reason they have power is that there's a guy that set up a diesel generator, right, in the woods. And that's where they get their power from. They pay like 25, 30 cents a kilowatt hour. I don't know what it is, but it's off the grid. This whole neighborhood is way off the grid in Alaska, and you know what? I don't have a renewable solution for you yet, right? Uh, you know, the cost to put up enough wind and solar and batteries to give you equivalent reliability to that diesel generator is still out of reach, but it won't be forever. And it's there, the same with EVs.
0: But when I when I hear people complaining about electric cars, I also have those questions. Phil and I have talked, I've been talks, people ask us, and you hear those questions again and again, and I think they all start to sound like this. What about the tires? Electric cars use tires, and they wear out, and it's a big pollution problem. What are you going to do about that? <laughs> because not only are the problems the same as with ICE cars, but often,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, the thing, don't ask, what is the battery about? Ask, what is the energy supply about?
1: Hmm. And yeah. so,
0: you, uh, so you can compare a battery which is been built in a factory is being fed electricity from your solar panels versus Alberta tar sands being taken out of the ground, destroying the environment in that general region, being piped and trucked and, and trained to the extent that 300% of the energy is in moving it into your refinery and into your car. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then guess how much of that energy you get to use when you run your car? A little less than half. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, there are the general objections of charging, you know, where, how does that work? How far can I go? What about road trips? And then the tougher questions get to be, what about going to driving to Northern Alberta? You know, what about towing my 8,000 pound trailer? You know, which, which are obviously edge cases at this point, but those dominoes are falling. I mean, there will be a solution for every single transport. Look, the Tesla semi is coming out, right? I, I taught a uh, community ed class for Rochester, and I had a lady in there. She was very interesting, a uh, little older than I am, I think. She was in Rochester only to be treated at the Mayo Clinic, which Minnesotans know is a, is a pretty, it's like a tourist destination, right, for, for people who need healthcare. She was intent. She was ex-military too, so she had a very can-do attitude. She was like, "Here's what I need. I want to be able to tow my giant fifth-wheel trailer across the country, and I want to do it on electric." And I said, "You know, the Tesla Semi could totally <laughs> fill your needs." <laughs> she kind of was like, "Oh, really? Tell me more. Where do I order this?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that that, that that brings up another point as well, which I think is a, this. Okay, my personal philosophy is that the whole energy transition, uh, people think of it as we're going to suffer, it's going to be hard, it's going to cost a lot. When really, we're not going to suffer, it's going to be easier, it's going to be cool, and we're going to make money rather than lose money. We're going to save yeah. money, yeah. Right? The we, don't have to change, the... we don't have to change our, our life way as much, but mm-hmm. there are also lifeway changes that I think are good to consider.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not to force on people, but to consider when you are buying a car, this is a very common Minnesota thing, I know many people have had this decision to make. You have a cabin. You have a boat.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You move stuff to the cabin and back. That's kind of extensive. So you buy a car that allows you to put a a, a holder on the back, plus a trailer with your boat on it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you move your boat to the cabin, and then you leave it there. But every year you pull it out and stick it on the loan and put it back in again. So you must have a car that can do this with your boat. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you drive a car that has a transmission and an engine strong enough, enough horsepower. You think to carry around your boat and then you get tired of doing that and you hire somebody to do it for you but you still bought that car <laughs> in other words, yeah. or, or even you do it yourself but you, you you do use that car to do that one thing two times a year but you have it all year long right now i'm not sure what the good analogy of that would be it's kind of like you know i have a really 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 warm winter coat and since i like to walk around a little bit in it like to the grocery store i have yellow flashing lights that are attached to it. And I have one of those big fur hats that when I moved to Minnesota, everybody else had. And I got one now. It's no longer in fashion. So I I look strange, but I used to I I used to fit in. And I have gloves and I'm not going to wear them in July. I'm not Mm going to wear them in August. I'm not going to put on all my warm clothes just because I need them those 10 days a year when it's below zero. I've changed the clothes that I wear. If there was a an attitude that was different and maybe a methodology, like there should be a service you need to buy, you need to rent. And it's called a car rental place, by the way, it sort of exists, but if they mm-hmm. can extend their service, we will give you the whopping big ass truck for this many dollars and you rent it for a weekend. And that's when you move your boat in and out the rest yeah. of the year, you save a hundred dollars a month, 200, dollars a month, driving a car that's efficient, fun to drive, effective and, is, and fits your day-to-day use case rather than the once a year use case. Yep. That's a philosophical change that sounds like it makes sense, but why do people never think of it? You know, <laughs> and may, maybe there has to be a way of incentivizing that and making it really easy for people to adopt that method. And then they're going to find life is easier.
1: Yeah, we do make life uh hard harder for ourselves than we need to. And I think you know, the cost argument is a great one too. We will actually save money. This is yeah. no longer a question of, oh, it's going to cost us so much. No, it's actually going to save us money. So whether you're talking about renewable energy or EVs, yeah, it's all cheaper in the future.
0: Now, Phil, I know you have a method that you have told me about convincing people to consider an electric car when you meet them at events. We're at the library parking lot and, and, and there was a parade or something and now electric car people are around because they do that. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, I say to do. you, Phil, I, I, I like electric car, but, I, but twice, three times a year, I, I go up to my cabin in Wisconsin, and when I do that, I also drive down to
2: my friend in Iowa's house. It's a big, giant loop I make. There's no way I could do that in an electric car. Yeah, so what I do, um, Brian, what I do is set him in the car and I, I get him in the driver's seat and I say, well, plunk uh, plunk in uh, the address. Uh, where do you want to go, Florida? And they mm-hmm. plunk it in and it shows them all 11 charging stations all the way down there. Where are you going to go? Uh, my son lives in California. They plunk in that address and mm-hmm. and they just look at the map and they... They see that it's going to take them, you know, 22 hours and they're going to wait 15 minutes here and 10 minutes there. And th- then they're kind of, oh, my gosh, this is hmm. pretty easy.
1: I'll be darned.
2: Yeah. yeah and, and the cost you pay,
0: <laughs> the cost you pay in time charging on a trip, because you just spend a little more time charging your car on a trip than you might with gasoline. Yeah, we pay. So we pay about a dime a mile. So. But, but the, the, but the, the time the, cost. The, the cost is... in time is maybe...
2: Mm-hmm. A long trip to several minutes more. Oh, yeah. So, so, Brian, how many long trips? Like, I've done, we've done about 17, 20, 000 miles of long trips. You've done a lot of long trips too.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I did two in November. I drove 6,000 miles in the month of November. Oh, wow. uh Round trips to Savannah, Georgia, and to Norwalk, Connecticut. It's the third time we've done the Norwalk, Connecticut drive. And those were in cooler weather too so i think my uh my time spent charging and we also went out to montana last summer so to, to your point phil and i i do crunch the numbers on this stuff um i have an app that helps me do that i compared our recent norwalk trip to our trip to eastern montana it turned out we didn't do the whole trip for reasons of uh contagion (laughs) but um it's interesting how close they were so the the montana trip was higher speed so lower efficiency for that reason the connecticut trip was lower temperature so slightly lower efficiency for that reason it it washed out and as phil knows too once you get in a i'm sure other cars are like this as well i've only road trip teslas but it's only the first leg of the day where your battery is cold. After that, your battery is warm. You're stopping. When you charge, it heats up even more. And you are basically driving at summertime battery temperatures for the rest of the day. So here's the, here's the number, the single number. Spent about 17% of the total trip time charging, stopping to charge. So that means like on a 600-odd mile day uh it took us you know 11 11 and a half hours of which nine and a half 10 hours was spent driving and an hour and a half was spent charging just as an example so six divided by an hour and a half yeah about 15 minutes per stop something like that and you integrate
0: those stops with a with a a meal or something
1: i need them i mean The, my uh, biology is such right. that I need to stop every 100 miles for 10 or 15 minutes. It yeah. turns out perfect.
2: So the way I calculated, it, so when we went to Boston, we did it over four days. And when we came back, we did it over four days. And what I, what I, the way I did it was I said, okay, every time I stop, um, I'm going to subtract 10 minutes off that time because I had to go to the bathroom anyway, or my wife had to go to the bathroom. If we ate for lunch, that was zero minutes because we were going to zero minutes charging because we were eating lunch anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we were at a hotel, that was zero minutes. So to Boston, it took an extra 100 minutes over 14 charging stops, which would have been seven minutes of charge stop. On the way back from uh, Boston to uh, uh, to Minnesota, we went via Sault Ste. Marie. Um, Ottawa, Sault Ste Marie, and that nice. was 154 minutes. That was an extra 10 minutes per stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was trivial. Okay, um, so
0: so for for 52 weeks in a year, you travel for four weeks, like you guys just said, maybe, and for 48 weeks, if you're a typical commuter, you're stopping at the gas station once a week. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if it's 20 below zero. Doesn't matter if it's slushy. Doesn't matter if it's 100 degrees outside. You're standing outside with your pump, you know, attached to your car. You had to drive to the gas station. Maybe you had to wait for a second to get into the thing. It's smelly. You got to plug this thing into your car and drive home, or maybe you, maybe you go out of your way on your way to work or something. But the point is, 48 weeks of the year, you're going to a gas station if you have an ice car. But if you don't, you're just putting your car in your garage.
2: Yeah, so it took you an extra 12 <laughs> hours to do all that gas pumping. I threw a a real quick,
1: (laughs) I threw a real quick spreadsheet together on that. And, you know, you can, I, I would make it available to people so you can plug in your own numbers, but yeah, basically the time you save charging at home, which is 90 plus percent of the time against the time, extra time that you spend on road trips, depending on the ratio of those miles, you know, you're, you're break even, you're better with an EV, or if you do a whole lot of road tripping. Maybe you're spending a few extra minutes a year driving the EV, but it's pretty much a wash. Yeah. People, so my, <laughs> yeah, this is a classic question at a car event. How long does it take to charge? And if I, I size up the person and I sense they're probably up for a little dry humor, I say mm, about 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's
0: all it takes you to plug it in when you go back, go into your home. Exactly. Day, right. Yep. yep yeah so that's, yeah, that's that's a good answer it's almost like electric cars
1: are a good thing almost yeah
2: <laughs> I, I think alan wernke has a great great line for for long distance travel cars charged before car is done before i'm done yep yeah.
1: yeah that's yeah a good share of the time if i had done that extra math that you did phil you're always doing more math than i am i'm I'm not going to try to compete there, but <laughs> yeah, if you really subtract off the non-wasted time, it's uh, yeah, it gets to be very small indeed. Yeah. So, Greg, I have
2: to tell you how I got introduced to Brian Anderson. I was at the Blues Brew, what Blues Brews and Barbecue at, at about all of it, mm-hmm. and Wayne Wilson just says, "Yeah, that Brian Anderson over there. He's interested in electric cars." Oh, okay. This is what 2015 about. Yeah. And then I uh, so I walked to my car, got my laminated spreadsheet, and handed it to Brian.
1: The first time I saw Phil, he had his laminates in his hand. Right, he was he was ready to give me the numbers. Yeah, for those who
2: don't already
0: know, Phil Phil he, is it, uh, has laminated sheets for everything having to do with electrical gener- generation he, uh, and he uh, cars and I don't
1: even try to compete. I don't handle <laughs> the candle to Phil, but
0: just to, just so people understand Phil is not just a weird guy who likes to laminate no. things. But he's involved in messaging and communication. Yeah. And this is part of one of his tools. Yeah. Well, we but both are you are know. Brian, think... Brian yeah. do you know that Phyllis now shifted out of Laminus and into Legos?
1: Into what? Legos? Yeah. Legos.
2: Wow. You, can, you can send right. the same messages with Legos,
1: <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't know if I've, you know, I, I put it on Facebook, but I don't know that anybody, um, I. you know, it was, oh, I didn't get any likes on it. So I don't think it got them. Um, <laughs> I don't think it got it. I don't even think it got seen, which is fine. But um, it was in response to a uh, um, someone telling me not to shove electric cars down their throat. And I, I thought that was the strangest response I'd ever, ever heard. We have this problem,
0: like in the last few years here in Minnesota, we've been trying to get electric car standard. Which we did get, we got an electric car standard. What happened? Well, the head of the department that handles that stuff got fired by the Republican Party in, this, in, our, in our legislature because they can do that. Um, we we uh, tried to get an electric truck memorandum of agreement signed by our, by our governor last year, which is something a lot of governors have signed around the country saying, we're going to do this and that to improve the chances of electric trucks being adopted by various state agencies and city agencies, et cetera. And he said, I'll do it maybe later. I can't do it now because it's a politically hot issue. Why would it be a hot issue? It it shouldn't be one. And part of this is because we had, when the electric car standard hearings were happening, people were testifying. We had people from outstate Minnesota saying, from farmland saying, if you force a standard on us, my children will die. And they had an argument that ran from being forced to use an electric car in their farm, electric tractors in their farm, to not being able to produce the food going out of business and becoming homeless. Now, Mm -hmm. that was ridiculous because no one was forcing anyone to use electric trackers. Tractors are the edge case. We don't have that solved yet. Uh, But part of the argument behind this was being being footed by the car dealers. Mm -hmm. And we came to understand that car dealers in Minnesota were against electric vehicles, not because they wouldn't be able to sell them, because like you said, Brian, earlier, they'd be able to sell a lot more cars if they had a range of electric cars on their lots, but because, they can't fix them. Most car dealers have a significant part of their business is based upon fixing cars. They have, sh- you know, they have shops and they have a warranty system. And a good part of their income is keeping those cars up maintained and, up, and upgraded. And when you replace all the ICE cars, which always break all the time and get old and wear out because they're basically little bombs that are constantly going off
2: <laughs> thousands <laughs> of
0: times a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and replace them with with electric cars that don't require that kind of maintenance they are they will lose that that'll they'll be they'll be taking a hit and I feel bad for them, and I think we should help them as long as they stop trying to stop electric cars from from being sold in the state. Mm. Do you have any last minute thoughts about what you want people to hear about electrification of our transport system, especially focused on electric cars?
1: I'm really excited about the heavy-duty side. I think that that is going to surprise people, how quickly we can electrify mm-hmm. uh, probably first local deliveries uh, from the big guys, Amazon, UPS, FedEx, to the mom-and-pops. I mean, in, as soon as a, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of, there's, there's a local delivery company called Speedy. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. Uh, St. Cloud.
2: St. Yeah. Cloud?
1: you know, and I don't know how big an organization they are, but, you know, the economics are compelling. And that is the most exciting thing to me is that once you just, it's just purely a matter of education, I think. And, and especially on the commercial side, um, you know, cities, uh, municipalities are another example where, you know, they're just trying to save taxpayers money. And as soon as they get it, you know, that they, Run the numbers, crunch the numbers, and realize that this saves money. Oh, and by the way, reduces emissions. We're going to be supply constrained, I think, for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: Based on the gas tax, the state of Minnesota burns about 13 to 15 billion dollars a year on gasoline, and it would be one and a half to two if it was electric. Rural communities, they would be buying electricity from their local utility and not from. Not from their, not from the refinery.
1: That's another one of your great laminates, Phil. No, <laughs> so
3: no, it stays yes, local. It, it is yeah. and,
2: buying it, local.
3: And... Hi, this is Mike joining in late. I wasn't able to make this particular recording, but I was glad that um, Brian and Phil did provide their expertise on electrical vehicles. I hope that this answered a lot of the questions that our listening audience may have on. The advantages and um, and address the questions that what most people see as disadvantages of electric vehicles are, and there is one other type of vehicle, uh, new car manufacturer that is in process of expanding beyond China and Northern Europe and is even in parts of California. It's Neo, and it's an electric car manufacturer that one of the things that they're changing is a model for how they provide the batteries. <clears throat> rather than actually buying a car with a battery, which can save you up to $10,000 on the list price, you buy a subscription to battery power. And then, um, when you rather than charging the car, then you go to a service station, and, and no charge at the time of service, then robotically the battery is taken out and a new charged battery is installed and the inventory of the batteries cycles so that it continually refreshes and then as batteries get older and less effective at storing power then they are taken out of service and put into a recycling program where they're used for other purposes. So that's definitely something that gives an example of how engineers are trying to solve some of the problems that we still see that caused hesitation in switching over to an electrical vehicle fleet. So if you want to take a look at that, I'm actually adding a link to the Neo car company, um, and hopefully some other manufacturers will take up this model and allow it to become more popular. This was a great episode. Again, I want to thank Brian, Phil, and uh, Greg for a great conversation. We'll be talking again to Laurent Panay fairly soon, and that will be the next episode, and we'll continue with that conversation on agriculture and some of the changes that can and need to be made in order to help feed a growing world while reducing environmental load. Thanks again for joining Econocast. It was my pleasure recording this episode for you. <music>